This is Palm Sunday. And on this Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Our gospel text gives us John's version of Jesus' entry into the city just a few days before his crucifixion. The city is already packed to overflowing with pilgrims who have come from all over the known world to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem, the city of the temple, the city that is the royal city, the city that for first century Jews was the center of all political and religious power. Messianic hopes are running high. Those in the city are hoping against hope that this will be the year that the Messiah comes and delivers them from Roman occupation. They are hoping that Jesus, this miracle worker that some of them have seen and all of them have heard about, is the promised Messiah and that his entry into the city signals the end of Roman oppression. Jesus knows the crowd's expectations. Jesus also knows that the religious leaders are really nervous about this. They're concerned that Jesus is going to stir up the crowd and instigate a rebellion. Jesus is very intentional in the way that he enters the city. He rides into the city on a donkey, colt of a donkey. He has a point to make, and he wants to make sure that no one misses it. What's the point? He's going to answer all of their questions, the questions that everyone is asking. Who is this? Is he the promised king and Messiah? Is he the promised king and Messiah we are expecting? And if not, what kind of king and Messiah is he? Jesus wants the crowd, the disciples, and even the religious and political leaders to know he is indeed the promised Messiah, but he is not the Messiah they are expecting. He is indeed a king. In fact, he is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the king of the Jews and of the whole earth, but he is not a king after the order of the kings and kingdoms of the world. He is a different kind of king, of a different kind of kingdom. His ways are not the ways of the kingdoms of the world. Jesus will indeed answer the cries of the crowd, Hosanna, which actually means save us, for he has come to save them and us but not in the way they are expecting or that even we expect. But if we pay close attention, if we are open to what God is doing in the midst of the coming tragedy, the suffering, the abuse of power, the neglect of duty, and even death, we will discover a salvation that the world cannot take from us we will discover a power that is fueled and defined by love and compassion rather than hate and violence. We will discover a resurrection that is greater than even death, 
that is greater than the pit of hell in which we currently find ourselves. We will discover an eternal life that is here and now, life that cannot be taken from us no matter who or what comes at us. We will discover the kingdom of God that is within us as close as our own breath in the here and now, God clothed in human flesh in us. Jesus knows that what's at stake requires no compromise with the powers of empire and oppression, with the powers that exclude, that marginalize, that label, that lift some up with privilege at the expense of all the masses, that give some status and reward citizenship while punishing those who have no such status. Jesus knows that God's very plan of salvation for the world is at stake, so there can be no compromise. Jesus will be tested, but love will have the final word even though it means that Jesus has to lay his life down rather than exercise his power in the way that the crowd expects and even demands. Love will prevail when the crowd turns fickle. Love will prevail when the discipleships all abandon him. Love will prevail when those tasked with implementing and carrying out justice fail at their duty, because they choose to protect their positions, their power, their privilege and wealth at the cost of justice. Love will prevail even when death seems to have the last word, because in the crucifixion of Jesus, God lays God's own life down to overcome all of it. Jesus enters the city through the East Gate, also known as the Golden Gate, the Gate of Mercy. That gate faced the Mount of Olives directly across from the Kidron Valley. It was the closest gate to the temple and led to a direct path to the temple. The first century Jews believed that when the Messiah came, the Messiah would come through the eastern gate and go straight to the temple to restore Israel to its former glory and power. And so Jesus enters through the east gate riding a donkey as a symbol that he comes in peace as the prince of peace. And in fulfillment of the prophecies of Zechariah, the crowd would have remembered that prophecy and the image of Jesus riding into the city through the east gate on the donkey would have been immediately for them an indication of who he was. For Zechariah said, Behold, daughter of Zion, behold and rejoice, daughter of Jerusalem, for behold your king, righteous and victorious, comes to you riding on the colt of a donkey. Jesus enters the city in the same way that he spent his life in ministry among the poor, as a servant of the least, 
the lost, of those who had been excluded and marginalized. He enters the city as one of them and receives the acclaim of the poor, of the peasants who have gathered in the streets. There's no pomp and circumstance here. There's no royal carpet. There are those who lay their garments on the ground, peasant cloaks, palm branches instead of banners and flags. And they sing as he rides in the Passover liturgy from Psalm 118 that we read this morning that celebrates the victory of God in delivering the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt. And they connect that deliverance with Jesus' entry into the city, hoping against hope that this is God's deliverance from the oppression of Rome. And so they add to that festival liturgy the title of king. And that acclamation is a direct challenge to the forces of Rome that are entering through the western gate because there can only be one king and that is Caesar. And they have just proclaimed that Jesus is king. Setting up this coming battle between the forces of God, the forces of peace and love and the forces of hate and violence. And so the religious leaders are nervous. They urge Jesus to quiet the crowd because they don't want Pontius Pilate and the Roman legions that are entering through the western gate to hear this acclamation for fear that trouble will come. And as Jesus enters the eastern gate, Pontius Pilate and legions of Roman soldiers begin to profess through the gate to the west. They have come to make sure there's no trouble. They have come in mass with all the glory and power and pomp of Rome. Swords and shields, breastplates and helmets glisten in the light. You can hear the horse hooves and the tromping of soldiers entering the city throughout the city. They are here to make sure there's no trouble because always at the Passover, some messianic pretender rises up and stirs up the people and they are here to stop that. And so the forces of heaven, represented by Jesus as the Prince of Peace who comes in from the east, and the forces of empire and oppression and evil represented by the Roman legions marching through the western gate, are about to collide in a battle in which it will appear that Rome and the forces of evil have won a victorious, all-out victory. But Jesus will yet be victorious, for God will lay God's own life down for the world in the week to come, will raise Jesus from the dead, in proclamation that the message of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the witness of Jesus, that love is the defining factor of God's love, of God's life in us for the world, will be victorious. But in the week to come, Jesus will be challenged again and again. His commitment to the way of love will be challenged For the cheers of the crowd on Palm Sunday quickly turn to disappointment and then to anger and then to cries of crucify him. 
Even his own disciples will betray him. Judas, the most obviously, but Peter will deny him three times. They'll fall asleep when he needs them most, and they will all abandon him in the moment of crucifixion. But Jesus will not surrender his power. Jesus chooses not to use his power for his own benefit, but chooses to use his power for the sake of the world. Just as God calls us to use our power in the same way, to lift up the lowly, to feed the hungry, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor for all people, to open the table so that all who may, who want to, will find their place at the table of God's grace. There'd be no more violence and hatred that we would be defined by the love of God, the love of God that is so powerful that God gives up God's own life to save us. Jesus is crucified on Good Friday not to appease the wrath of an angry God, not because some innocent victim had to be slain to appease God's bloodthirsty judgment. Jesus is crucified on Good Friday because the world and the forces of empire and evil said no to love. They said yes to hate and violence. And God allowed all of that evil to be thrown at God so that God could overcome all of it. And on Easter Sunday morning in the resurrection, raise Jesus as Christ and Lord with a resounding yes that the way of love has the final word. Some of you listening today have been told by the church that God can't stand to look at you. Some of you have been told that you're an abomination. That who you are, living that out and claiming that is incompatible with Christian teaching. That is the devil's lie. It is not the truth. The truth is that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to claim the victory of God's love for all people in all of their identity as beloved children of God, created in the image of God for God's great joy. You are a beloved child of God. If you have never allowed God's love to embrace you through Jesus Christ, you can do that. And if you don't know how, then call the church office and ask for me. Email me or email Cassie and we'll help you because the good news of Palm Sunday, of Holy Week, and of Easter is that God's judgment is no more. <laughs> that we are saved in the mercy and love of God in Christ. And we are celebrated. And there's a seat at God's table for you. It's the family table. You are invited as a beloved child. And you have a seat of dignity and worth in all of your identity at this table. As we go through this holy week, I invite you to keep your eyes on the cross. <laughs> and on the one hanging there who embodies the love of God for you. For this one is the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
who though he was God, did not consider that identity something to be grasped, but gave it up and became one of us, walked among us, served us and became obedient even unto death, death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord, our Lord, our Savior, and the one who has opened the table for all of us. Thanks be to God. Amen.